This is the Community Connection, a podcast from Community Baptist Church in South Bend, Indiana. The purpose of this podcast is to better equip our church family to do the ministry of the gospel where God has planted us. Pastor Ben, there has been a phrase that I have heard said by myself <laughs> and by you. I remember the last time I listened to myself say this. It was so nice. <laughs> it was really well said. I, well, I put that It was very extremely well. articulate. <laughs> and, and the reason why... It's I okay. We're it, impressed with you, too. <laughs> I was actually quoting someone else, which is the reason why it was so articulate, is because okay. when I heard myself say it, I actually was quoting someone else. I, I had so much pleasure in hearing those words come from my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the phrase is this, or the comment or quote, or however you want to say it, is this. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that um, that phrase may have a sense of where people don't understand that. They just think, okay, well, that sounds too reductionistic or that's that was a good word. That's a good, well, that's a good yeah, word I'm it? proud of you. Uh, that sounds too simplistic. It, it's not that there's no way that life can really be that simple. When you look at it and you say, well, actually everything in the way that we operate in this world is in direct correlation to whether or not we think we will give an account to someone bigger than ourselves or to ourselves or to someone else in general. And everything in our life centers around this concept of how we view God. Yeah. So yeah. much so that the Bible never even attempts to prove the existence of God. It assumes it. It says, in the beginning, God. And so what we're going to do in this podcast is we are going to take a minute and we are going to uh, do some meditation together um, about what, uh, about how, I should say, we'll start with how the believer should interact with the concept of God. When we say God, what what are some things that should come to mind? How do we how do we think about God in this context? And then uh, after that, we are going to talk a little bit about the attributes of God and how we should think about the attributes of God. Yeah. So Ben, if I were to ask you, uh, why is it so important that I have a correct view of God? Yeah. Or or who is God and how should I think about him? What would you Say. Well, I think you set it up perfectly when you talked when you, you mentioned that again? quote. I'm sorry, I think that you set it up perfectly when there you quoted go. somebody else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you said that the most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we think about God, um, and that's been said by people from a variety of backgrounds of theological persuasion. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is say, why is that true? Why is that the case? And we just read in our community groups last night, one of the references from those uh, studies was from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor let the mighty man boast in his might, the rich man boast in his riches, but let him that boast boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Yeah. And then God proceeds to tell some things that are true about himself that need to be known and understood in order for this person to really qualify for yeah. boasting that they know God, right? Yeah. You need to know that I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, righteousness, justice, for in these things I delight, says mm -hmm. the Lord. And I think that really provides the answer. The reason that it's the most important thing about us, what we conceive of as God and how we conceive of God, is because God says that that's the most important thing about us. Um, and you say, okay, well, um, what then of all of the maybe theological 
speculation and maybe speculations to to dicey the word the mystery, mystery or even just the investigation that we have to do in our brains to come to a right understanding of God. So the Bible has lots of attributes of God, mm-hmm. but it doesn't exactly tell us how all of those things relate, at least in a, not in a direct and clearly set out way. It gives us clues. It gives us instances of that, but it's left to us to put all those things together. Hmm. And part of that is the joy of our relationship with God. God has created us to enjoy the pursuit of him. Yeah. He left us with plenty to say about himself, but he's given us the joy of actually going through and putting all those pieces together. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to put it. And um, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, I'm no, trying to do better of not interrupting your thought process <laughs> as your thoughts are flowing out. I am out so easily derailed. I, I have been I have come under fire for that recently <laughs> of of interrupting you and interrupting your thoughts. So I want to make sure you get your full thoughts out. But I, I want to draw in a somewhat, I want to draw our attention to something you said, which I think is very interesting, and that is that it's our God's God has revealed to us that it's our primary role to know him and the Westminster catechism would say that our, our purpose here on this earth is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Yes. Right. Yes. And say, okay. And, and I don't, I can't glorify him if I don't know him, if my view of him is off, then I may be thinking that I'm living to God's glory when in fact the God that I'm glorifying is not the God of Scripture or perhaps is a skewed version of the God of Scripture because I haven't taken the time to know him. Yeah. Not only that, how can I enjoy something that I don't know, that I don't not only have an, a, a um, you know, that passage in Jeremiah where it says, understands and knows me, not only do I have an understanding of who God is, but I have an experiential and relational understanding of who sure. God is, that I have been with him. Yeah. I'm going to give two illustrations that I think kind of help us get this point really well. Uh, the first is, uh, you remember this, um, several years ago, uh, I was here in South Bend on staff at the church. I was single, and there were a couple of instances where over a holiday, I was house and dog sitting for a uh, family in our church. Mm-hmm. And they very graciously um, uh, paid me for the time that I spent watching their house and their dogs, um, and they specifically um, did not just hand me the money that they had agreed to pay me. They actually wrote out a very highly elaborate scavenger hunt and had the money somewhere in the house. And there was an intricate series of clues that would lead to the payment. I remember I this because you the, weren't allowed to look up the answers on your phone and you called me and it said, was, I need help. It was, it was, <laughs> I loved that. That was one of the most fun things. I never complained about that. I thought it was great fun and it was, it kept me occupied. It was so interesting to try and think through. And I would just pace around the house for hours, trying to think of different things, mulling over the clues in my head. And the very process of doing that was a great joy. Um, and you've done things where you, You've like created scavenger hunts for your kids for different things. One of the great joys for both you and for the kids is to watch them know the reward at the end, but then work through the process of achieving that reward through the means that you've given to them. In fact, it would have been a huge downer for you to step in and give them the answers to each clue as they picked up the next clue. Mm -hmm. It would have been a huge downer for them to not be able to exercise the the abilities that they have to achieve that answer. The joy of the pursuit. And we see the exact same thing in the Bible very clearly presented to us in a second illustration, and that's of the creation of Adam in the Garden of Eden. God creates Adam and creates an entire world 
which Adam knows nothing about. And God says, by the way, it's your responsibility to steward this whole planet. Mm, subdue the earth. Subdue this entire earth, mm. multiply, fill the whole thing, and I want you to take care of it. And then what God does is God parades examples of all of his living creatures in front of Adam. Mm. And it, the Bible says that God wanted to see what Adam would name them. God gave Adam the ability and the capacity to do what he'd commanded him to do, but didn't give him specific instruction that we know of, of how to do that. And I think that's significant because I think it frames and gives a paradigm to our relationship with God, that there's a significant aspect of the joy of our relationship with God that's involved in our pursuit of a right knowledge of God and of his world. You know, if anyone is listening to this and they've had that moment to where They've either been listening to a message, they've been maybe listening to good Christian music, deep, deep theological Christian music that has words that reflect the character of God or, or studying the Bible on their own, maybe reading a commentary, and they have discovered something that they did not know about God that blows their mind. In that moment of self-discovery of who God is through God's word, there's a light bulb that goes on. There's all of a sudden this intense, uh, like what you were saying, a joy, a passion, an excitement that draws you closer to who God is. And that joy is how God intends us to live our mm -hmm. life in the pursuit of him, exactly like what yeah. you're saying. It, and this is not some sort of like an intellect above scripture. No, no, no. Because no. this is all within the paradigm of I'm going to investigate what God has revealed in the scriptures mm -hmm. as my starting point. Yeah, let me give you an illustration of that, okay, or, or an explanation of that. Sure. So I was recently talking to somebody, and we were talking about a biblical concept, and uh, I, use the I use the explanation of, okay, well, if you take this verse and you understand it with this verse and this verse, then you come to this conclusion. Hmm. And the comment that was made back was, I had ne I've never even thought of thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there was this whole new world that's opened up when you simply study scripture and know it well. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you've often said um, it's it is a sad Christian life to stay in the kiddie pool the whole time, knowing and people telling you that there is a giant swimming pool over there that you can go play in and and explore and and enjoy, but you say no thanks, I'll just stay here. Mm -hmm. And for the first time for somebody to find the joy and excitement of discovering God through his word is an amazing journey to be on. Yeah, yeah. And there's a part of this where a person who uh, is maybe thinking rightly about their purpose for creation, pursuing God rightly, there's a part of you that, that can't help but just think and puzzle over who God is and what he's like. Mm -hmm. uh, we're made as investigative curious creatures and we're made as systematicians of some sort mm -hmm. you know even a person who who keeps their room living room or office messy you ask them hey why don't you clean this up and they say no 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 i know where everything know where is, is. Yeah. and it all makes sense in my brain <laughs> yep. and so even though we may have different ways of organizing or thinking about things tidier less tidier mm -hmm. tidy or you know d different mm -hmm. boxes or not um People can't help but think in terms of some sort of an organization that makes sense in their brains. Yeah. Um, 
And because of that, we look at the attributes of God. We think about God's holiness, his justice, his love, his mercy, his truth. We think about his omnipotence, his omniscience. We think about God being omnipresent. We think about God being eternal, all of these things. And we think, okay, some of these attributes seem like they could be grouped together in one way. And some of these attributes seem similar in ways that are different than the way these attributes are similar. Some of these attributes don't seem like they would be necessary if nothing existed but God. Mm -hmm. Some of these attributes seem to be such that they would exist with God or be seen in God apart from anything else existing. Sure. And so as human beings, we start to read scripture and we, we can't help but start to think of God's attributes in these ways. Yep. And so let's talk about these different categorizations of attributes. Let's start with the one that you just mentioned, which I think may take people off guard a little bit and, and may take a little bit of explanation, and that is the difference between the 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 selection of God's essential attributes. Sure, you know of saying um, there are attributes about God that have nothing to do with His creation. Sure, there are essential attributes of the Godhead that are revealed in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three persons in the one essence of God that have been existing in eternity past. Mm-hmm. That. Um, that we can characterize as separate from the way that God interacts with creation, like mercy. Mercy. God the Father does not need to show mercy to God the Son, nor God the Spirit, nor in in that ad intra, that, that interrelationship of the, the Trinity and eternity past, mm-hmm. but towards his creation made in his image, his sinful people, God now has an attribute in which he reveals himself as a merciful God. Does that right. make sense? Yes. So the categorizations there would be essential and... Non-essential or relative. Relative. Things okay. like that, yeah. And I think that's such a, a helpful way to begin, because that's one of the easiest ones to really grasp first, is to understand uh, that God eternally possesses the attribute of love. Mm-hmm. He, he, The Bible says he is love. He shares love among the triune nature from eternity past. The Father loves the Son. Mm -hmm. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Son and the Father. All these Mm -hmm. three share love, but none of them need the particular expression of love that is seen in mercy Mm -hmm. or in grace. Grace and mercy are particular expressions of love. You could almost think of it as like um, a descendant of love, something that's a step removed because it's it's love that is demonstrated towards sinful creatures in a compassionate, tender, and redeeming way. Um, So that would be like an instance where love would be something that we would call an essential attribute or property of God, whereas mercy and grace have a distinct uh, kind of understanding and meaning to them, but they really flow out of this essential property that we call love. And so we would distinguish between those kinds of things. And when we when we would categorize them as relative attributes, we're not saying relative in the sense that they change. Right, they're not subjective. No. And and when we say non-essential, it's not as though God could have them or not could have them. Right. What, essential in this context, we would say it, it refers to God's essence. Correct. And that's rather right. than you're finishing I, my I sentences, or, which is good. I'm that's sorry, good. I'm no, sorry. no, no. I get no. so excited about this. No, I'm not saying that you shouldn't because you actually make it sound a whole lot better than I do. And so <laughs> and so, when you finish my sentences in one sense, you're kind of quoting me and making it sound better. So that's good. I just try to anticipate your whim. <laughs> but to say, you know, the, the essential attributes are a revelation to us of God's essence yep. and, and his nature. Now, um, before we go any further, I think it's very important that we understand that God is not made up of his attributes 
but that God is his attributes, that are that the attributes of God reveal his character to us in a whole his whole character, his whole nature to us in ways that we can understand, in, in little ways we can understand. Uh, another way in which we could categorize his attributes are one that probably people have heard about, um, maybe one that's more common, and that's communicable and incommunicable attributes, okay? Communicable and incommunicable would be attributes, communicable attributes would be attributes that God has that we can also reflect back to him. Incommunicable attributes would be attributes that God has that we in no way could reflect back to him because we are finite human creature, human creatures even though we're made in the image of God. So incommunicable attribute, omnipresence. I don't care how hard you try, how godly you get. You're never going to have the attribute of omnipresence. See, I disagree with you just a little bit. Um, uh oh, <laughs> is this the first time we've disagreed on the podcast? Mm-hmm. This might be. So this is going to be good. Okay, um, I, I would actually argue that the the real incommunicable attribute there is infinity. The okay, the infinite seen, nature of God, eternality or infinity, infinity, infinity. Okay, um, and that elaborate on that. Well, the idea is this: God. Um, God's presence is maintained everywhere, non-spatially. What mm-hmm. I mean by that is there's nowhere that God doesn't exist with his fullness. Mm-hmm. Um, God's you know, head is not in one part of the galaxy and his foot in a different galaxy because mm-hmm. God doesn't have um, a, a spatial dimension to him because he's a pure spirit, which would be another one of his non-communicable attributes. He's pure mm-hmm. spirit, he's we're spirit. spirit, and flesh. That was the next one I was going to sure. get to, his um, spirit nature. But then when you apply his infinity to various other attributes, um, uh, you get kind of a a raised perfection of those attributes, um, but presence is still communicable. I do have a presence. I don't reflect it to the degree that God does, but that would be the same thing as saying um, that I can truly love, but just not in the degree or way that God loves. God loves with a perfect love. I love with a human relative finite love. Um, God has an infinite presence. I have a finite presence. God has an infinite power. I have a finite power. So power is a communicable attribute. Uh, presence is a communicable attribute. Love is a communicable attribute, but infinity is not. Infinity is the quality or attribute that is in itself the thing that, that makes God completely distinct from so me. So is there anything... So, so basically what, you, what you're saying is, which I, I agree with you in, is that infinity is God's attribute of infinitude yeah is the incommunicable attribute not not only that but spirituality mm-hmm. would be another one self-existence would be another aseity. one yeah so God's God's aseity God's self-existence God's spiritual essence or mm-hmm. or existence and then God's infinity would be examples of the incommunicable attributes so we went through infinite infinity yeah Aseity would be that God is self-existent, meaning that he's the uncaused cause, meaning that there's nothing that God relies on in order for life. There's nothing that God relies on. There's nothing that God needs. So God doesn't need his creation. He doesn't need the worship from man. He doesn't need any of those things in order to exist. God is self-existent in and of itself, himself. Yes. Okay. Spirit. God is a spirit. John 4, therefore we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, spirit, which one is it? Spirit, aseity, infinity. What was the other one? Um, 
uh, self-existence, which self-existence, is what we already said. Okay. Yeah, just the okay. three that I mentioned. Okay, and and so those would be incommunicable attributes, right? Which, in essence, really all of God's attributes are incommunicable to the level that who He is. But then there are ways which we can reflect a portion of those back to Him, in the sense of holiness: "Be holy, for I am holy." Yes. Love, mercy, grace. Truth, right? Things of that nature, and there are, there are some aspects of who I am as a created being, not just in moral attributes that I can mm-hmm. possess at some points and not others, but even just the fact that I have an existence. Um, it, it reflects God in some way because sure. as as much as I really exist, um, God really exists. Mm-hmm. Now, self existence is a is a distinct category, and that's sure. what makes it an incommunicable attribute or infinity. That's a distinct category. But if, if that makes sense, so mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah, you're absolutely right. So uh, the fact that I I have a spirit um, is reflective of God in His nature. Mm-hmm. But God is a pure spirit, and that's what makes it incommunicable. So other than communicable and incommunicable, what are some other ways that people categorize the attributes of God? Uh, some of them have to do with some things that you even brought out in your message on glory a few weeks ago, uh, talking about God's greatness and goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that you mentioned that uh, yeah. in terms of how great God is in his being, mm-hmm. and then the goodness of God, because God says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you. Yeah. And in, in one sense, and not in one sense, but... Um, when I wrote my personal doctrinal statement for my defense and my ordination, that's how I characterize the attributes of God. Awesome. Nice. God's greatness and his goodness in that sense. Yeah. Very good. Yep. Um, how should we think about God in his attributes? How should a Christian approach God in this way? Like when we pray, when we worship, what are some motivating, some driving thoughts, some... Um, what are ways in which children of God should um, should approach and interact with God with all this in mind? Yeah, I think there's a couple of different dimensions to this. Um, these kinds of car- categorizations of God help us help protect us from a couple of dangers in our personal spiritual lives. Number one is the danger of approaching God, conceiving of God, praying to God, thinking of God as something like us. Mm-hmm. We can make God too much like us in our prayers, in our Bible reading, in our worship, in our obedience, that we obey him like we would obey this particular authority or that particular authority. But understanding the meaning of God being infinite and all-knowing and transcendent, these kinds of things help protect us from bringing God down to our level in in a, in a irreverent or even blasphemous sort of way. Um, but understanding the way these categories relate to us also keep us from uh, not over-exalting God, but conceiving of God such that he's inaccessible. Mm. I can't ever really get to God because he's... Unknowable. Yeah, he's unknowable. He's inaccessible. Nobody can really get to the heart of who God is. And so, you know, it ends up really just discouraging it's me. It's all from, a mystery. Why do I even try? Right, right. It's, you know, it's a person who gets so stumped over one particular clue of the scavenger hunt that they just give up on, on the discovery altogether. Um, and neither of those things are how God wants us to relate to him. And he specifically tells us that, you know, he, he says specifically, I'm not to be made like a man. I'm not a man such that I should change my mind or do this or that. I don't repent. I'm not like you. And yet at the same time, he invites us to come and to know him. And in John uh, chapter 14, Jesus says, listen, Philip, you've been with me so long. Don't you know that if you've seen me, you have seen the father 
to see to see Christ in the pages of Scripture is to truly know God, mm. not just kind of hypothetically, not analogically, not anthropomorphically, all those words just meaning like in some sort of metaphorical sense, mm -hmm. uh, but we can truly know the real and living God. And so when we understand these things rightly, it protects us from um, falling into a ditch on either side of the road, so to speak. And the Bible outlines even what those ditches are and why they're there, and then gives us all the information in the middle. And I think that's helpful. The other thing that I think it helps us with is um, it, it teaches us humility by giving us enough information for us to know that the true nature of God is actually beyond my limits to understand. Mm. Every theologian, no matter how brilliant, comes to the Bible and eventually hits his head against a brick wall of saying, this far, no further. Mm. There's more out there, and God has told us enough for us to know that there is more out there, but that we stop here. That's right. And we can't go any further. Knowable, yet incomprehensible. And then it keeps us on a level of humility, mm -hmm. and yet not this kind of like a... a slavish discouragement, but a joy, it actually motivates a joyful pursuit of all that God has revealed to us. You know, Deuteronomy says that that which God has given to us is for us and for our children, that, those yeah. things that are revealed. Mm -hmm. And the Bible, you know, the, the illustration is, uh, that's been given throughout church history is the Bible is um, uh, still and calm enough that a child can drink from it, but so vast and broad enough that it can drown the largest mountain. Mm -hmm. um, and so the most brilliant person's going to come up against the mystery of God and have to humble himself before the nature of God. And yet um, there's so much to truly be known that we're never going to exhaust the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God is what Paul tells us in Romans. As I've been studying this concept throughout scripture, I have been struck with the response specifically of, of two people. One is, is Job in Job 42, where God reveals himself. And Job says, okay, I've heard about you, but now I see you. I repent and I cover my mouth, right? I repent in dust and ashes. I can't say anything against who God is when I, when I see him accurately. The other one is Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah says, he pronounces actually curses on himself. I see my cursed situation. Woe is me, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I see my situation as a sinner, and I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But yet God interacts with both of them in love and blessing when they respond in that way. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about and meditate on these attributes of God, may God give us a heart of humility, a heart to say, show me your glory like Moses did, a heart uh, like Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up of Job to ask questions we don't understand, but when God's character is revealed, to respond in faith and in humility to recognize God is God and I am not. And hopefully as we work through these attributes, uh, both in Sunday morning services and in our Bible Institute class, that uh, that would be our response of humility in that way.